0: We're concluding a series today on prayer called Talking With God. We've looked at being mindful of God's presence with us, inviting God into the ordinary aspects of our day, praying honestly and bringing all our feelings to God in prayer, as well as acknowledging that sometimes prayer is a mystery and we don't understand why God responds the way he does. This morning, we're adding one last tool to your tool belt for how you can talk with God. And let me say at the outset, if you've developed a habit of praying that's been really helpful to you, breath prayers or praying the Psalms, by all means, stick with that. I want you to have this though in your back pocket as an option. Because even if you choose not to use it now, it's one of the greatest hits, prayers. It's worth knowing, and if if you're here this morning and you're not sure yet of this Christianity thing, that's fine, you don't need to pray this prayer, but perhaps hearing about it will shed some light on what the Christian faith is all about. The Lord's Prayer may be familiar to you, maybe you learned it in church as a child or in confirmation class, maybe you've heard it recently at a funeral service. It goes like this, our Father who art in heaven Generally, I think this is considered a good China kind of prayer to be pulled out only on special occasions. But I want us to think about this as a prayer we could pray regularly, maybe even every day. It's that good. Little Lois agrees with me. Dear God, I like the Lord's prayer best of all. Did you have to write it a lot or did you get it right the first time? I have to write everything I write over again. Well, I don't know if there were multiple drafts before Jesus settled on the final version, but I do agree with Lois that this is a great prayer. Let me give you just a little bit of background and overview about the prayer itself, and then we'll look more closely at each phrase. It's called the Lord's Prayer, but as many scholars have noted, it should be called the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus isn't the one who's supposed to be praying it. We are. This is how he taught us to pray. And In fact, it's the only instance we have recorded in the Bible of the disciples asking Jesus to teach them something. Lord, teach us to pray. Perhaps they saw something in Jesus, some interconnectedness with God, and they wanted it too. Jesus, you have clarity, direction, peace, patience, power over temptation. There's something different about how you pray. Teach us. We want to pray like that. The prayer occurs two times in the Bible, one in Luke, as I've just mentioned, and once in Matthew 6 when Jesus is teaching on prayer. They're slightly different, likely because Jesus taught taught this prayer on more than one occasion. We're going to look at Matthew's version because it's a little more comprehensive and it's probably the one you're more familiar with. So let's look more closely at how the prayer is structured. We're going to look at the prayer in three sections, the first and last line, which describe the reality of who God is, framing the whole prayer, and then two sections uh, within its body. You can distinguish these two sections by the pronouns. The first section, the first three petitions of the prayer, all have to do with requests for God, or in this case, the pronoun your, since Jesus is talking with God, Make your name holy, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Your name, your kingdom, your will. The second section, petitions four through six are all requests that have to do with our, things for us. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts or trespasses. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our temptations, in other words. Looking at the verbs, notice that they're all in the imperative mood. Hallowed, come, be done, give, forgive, lead, deliver. These aren't just requests. These are commands. How can Jesus be teaching us to command God to do anything? Granted, the first three are in the passive voice, so it's toned down a bit. So instead of do it, it's be done. It's not quite as forceful. Perhaps these are commands, because what Jesus is asking is something only God can do. Jesus, who comes from the Father, who knows the heart of the Father, tells us to pray this forcibly, this boldly. Let's spend a few minutes now on each one of these phrases. First, the addressee. The prayer begins with a reminder of just who it is we are praying to, our Father, who art in heaven. As we've discussed in this series, it makes all the difference in the world who we think we're praying to when we pray. Why waste our breath if God isn't really there or listening or if he can't do anything to help? Jesus wants us to remember just who it is we are praying to and he does so by using these few words that emphasize opposite aspects of God's nature, our Father and in heaven. Let's start with the word Father. Now, if your image of a father is not a positive one, try instead to imagine how a healthy parent should love their child selflessly, unfailingly, joyfully. Jesus uses the most intimate and personal word in his language for a parental figure, Abba. This was unparalleled in his time for anyone to speak of God in such a personal way. And he isn't just a father. He's our Father. When we put our faith in Jesus, his Father becomes our Father too. Romans 8.15, this brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The same intimate relationship Jesus shares with the Father, we can share in too. But he's not just our Father, as in ours exclusively, he is our Father. He has many children, people from every tribe and tongue and every nation, and God has no favorites. So when I pray this prayer, I am not only remembering that he loves me intimately and personally, but I am also remembering that he loves all his children whom I am connected to through Jesus. You and I may pray privately, but we do not pray alone or at the expense of others or their needs i wonder how our prayers might change if we remembered this but he isn't just a loving father he's in heaven it's not obvious to us but it would have been to jesus listeners that this phrase is shorthand for on the throne in charge in control over all just a few verses before this, Jesus tells his listeners, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or on earth, for it is his footstool. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's taking two opposite aspects of God's nature and wetting them together so that we hold both. God is in heaven. He is transcendent, out there, overall. God is powerful. And yet... He is also our father. He's imminent right here, loving. God is personal. He's not only great, but he is also good. One writer summarized it like this. Jesus thus combines fatherly love with heavenly power. And what his love directs, his power is able to perform. This is the God we are talking with when we pray our Father who art in heaven. And what is the first request Jesus makes of him? Hallowed be your name. I think this is one of the most difficult and misunderstood phrases in the prayer. And it's also one of the most astounding. For starters, when Jesus says name here, he's not simply referring to the way in which we address someone, as in my name is Amy Roll. In his day, a name represented not just what you call someone, but their whole character, their nature. For example, Psalm 9:10: those who know your name will trust in you. This verse doesn't mean that those who know what to call God will trust in him. It means those who know what he is like will trust him. So name equals character. And Jesus asks that God's name or character be hallowed, made holy, but God's already holy. What Jesus is asking here is that God's name, his character, be treated as holy, be treated with reverence. And that can only happen as God's character is known or revealed. So really, this first petition is asking, Father, make your character real here on earth. Enhance your reputation here on earth. This phrase, on earth as it is in heaven, actually refers to all three of those first petitions. So we could pray, make your name holy on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Putting it all together, this first petition, hallowed be your name, is asking God to show more of who he is in this earth. The message paraphrases it like this, reveal who you are. This is a plea for God to show his stuff, for God to show off. God, do your thing, be who you are. You say you're faithful to the fatherless. Be faithful to this family who's just lost their parent. You say you're a reconciler. Heal this broken relationship so that those watching may see your character. You're partial to the vulnerable. Then stop those seeking to oppress them. Let people see who you are, God. Hallowed be your name. I'm telling you, you start praying this way and buckle up. Things will happen. But Jesus doesn't just stop with God's name, God's character being revealed. He audaciously asks for more. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom was another word charged with meaning for those listening. The Jewish worldview anticipated a day when God would come and establish his rule, his kingdom, fully on earth where all wrongs would be made right, where justice was exercised, where the effects of sin were reversed, and where brokenness was restored for good. And the Bible is clear that in Jesus, this kingdom had come. Jesus begins his ministry by saying, the time that day you've been waiting for has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Jesus ushers in this new world order. Every miracle he does, including his victory over death, bears witness to this. But the Bible is also clear, and our own experience confirms, that he hasn't established his kingdom fully yet. This is not the way it's supposed to be. We still experience brokenness, sin, suffering, and death. God won't enforce all his rules until he returns again and sets the world right. In the meantime, he's commissioned us to continue his work. And we do so by praying, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let that good future that you've planned for us, where sin's eradicated, where justice is executed, where love is the norm, where suffering is no more, spill over into the present so people can see who you are. Let your values rule this earth your healing, your justice, your love, your grace, your power, your victory over sin, let that come to us now on this earth as it will fully be that one day. God's kingdom will undoubtedly involve a change of priorities for us, a willingness to yield to his agenda rather than our own. Not my will, but yours, as Jesus prayed in the garden. And this, friends, is the crux of the problem with prayer. Because if we are honest, most often we want our own agenda, not God's. We're busy making a name for ourselves, our empire's coming, our will asserted. See, God then becomes an accomplice we try and manipulate for our own enterprise. But praying as Jesus taught us reminds us we are an enlistee for God's purposes and will we are his agents here on earth until he comes those of us who follow Jesus don't just shake our heads and say oh the world's messed up too bad can't wait for the king to come and set it right no we roll up our sleeves we get our hands dirty because if we pray it we might just have to do something about it we might be so moved as to become a part of God's answer to our own praying. Do you see how this is a far cry from rattling off a grocery list? This is not the prayer of someone who is satisfied with the world the way it is. This is the cry of the desperate who recognize that this world is not as it should be and only God can set things right. And so they ask God to begin doing that through them, through whatever sphere of influence they have. Make no mistake, this prayer is downright dangerous. It should come with a warning label. Writer and poet Annie Dillard says, our church ushers should issue crash helmets and life preservers to people when we pray this. This is life-changing stuff. I mean, really. Can you imagine what might happen if we prayed this prayer sincerely and regularly. Some of you here today who would not identify as a follower of Jesus are resistant for this very reason. The Christians you know are no better, in fact, sometimes worse, than other good people you know, and that is legitimate. Maybe if we who follow Jesus prayed this more, you might see a way of life more winsome, more gracious, more compelling, more fulfilling. May it be so, Father. You see, as one writer said, God's purposes are always in danger of being overruled by my will. In other words, yes, God is sovereign, of course. And yet, he invites us to partner with him in his work, in the world. And we've got quite a track record of doing our own thing. God's name, kingdom, and will are always vulnerable to our own choices. Justice, mercy, and love of heaven are meant to come through to earth through us. Oh God, reveal who you are. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. So, the first half of the prayer is all about God, your name, your kingdom, your will. But this is our Father, remember? While He doesn't want us to put our needs at the top of the list, doesn't mean we don't get to include them. The second half of the prayer allows us to gather up all our needs before God. Let's look at that briefly now. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus is speaking broadly about the needs we have for each day. Maybe it's an important meeting we have at work or a decision that needs to be made. Maybe it's someone we know who needs comfort or financial provision. Whatever it is, we can bring our request to God. What is most convicting about this is that we are to trust God each day for what we need. Those hearing those words, daily bread, would have immediately thought of the manna God provided each day in the wilderness for his people when he led them out of slavery in Egypt. Exodus 16 tells the story of this, and you should soak in it sometime. This has become so meaningful to me. I commend it to you. But this is the story of how God provides for this landless, nomadic, unemployed, mass quantity of people for 40 years while they wandered around in the desert until they settled in the land God promised them. So essentially each morning they'd wake up, they'd find this bread on the ground and they would gather what they needed for the day. If they took too much and tried to stockpile for tomorrow just in case God didn't come through, it would spoil. So God was teaching them to become dependent on him and to trust him for their daily needs. And God wants that same trust from us, a daily dependence on him for what we need. Just a few verses after this, when Jesus speaks on worry, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that the truth? We quote this often in our house. Uh, Give trust that you will give, Lord, what we need at the right time. Give us this day our daily bread. And then... Because forgiveness is as indispensable to the soul as food is to the body. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus isn't talking about financial payments we owe, but our sin, our wrongdoing. Some of us live with an incredible amount of guilt over thoughts or behaviors in our past or in the present. I have good news for you. Our guilt can be removed. Our debt can be wiped clean. I find it comforting that Jesus knows we won't get it right. He anticipates we'll mess up, and he shows us how to deal with that. No, we aren't perfect, but we are forgiven, and we can be forgiven. In following Jesus, we don't always do that well. Thank God we can be wiped clean. And not a spot clean, but a deep, thorough, scrubbing clean. And here's the best part. Not only with God, but with one another too. That's why Jesus includes as we forgive our debtors. Don't let that phrase trouble you. It's not saying we are only forgiven if we forgive others. The Bible is clear. We're forgiven by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Rather, this phrase is saying that when we have been forgiven, the natural outflow is that we will forgive others. Forgiving others is not a prerequisite to being forgiven by God. It's the byproduct. When we have been extended this kind of grace, we cannot help but extend it to others. And this is what makes the church so beautiful and so unique. It's not the absence of sin but the presence of forgiveness. Forgiveness is God's remedy for broken relationships. One day, sin will be removed for good. Until then, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In other words, don't allow us to be so led into temptation that it overwhelms us, but rescue us from evil. We are not as strong as we think we are. We are vulnerable. It's a big, bad world out there. We need protection from the evil around us. But the evil is just as much in here as it is out there. Very seldom does temptation take us totally by surprise. Pastor Adele Calhoun writes, I settle into the well-worn ruts that temptation is carved in the landscape of my soul, and I take the path of least resistance. So often we don't exert the energy required to establish new habits for our thoughts, attitudes, affections, behaviors. And so we pray, don't let evil leak out into the world through me. Lead me and protect me, God. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. With these, While these words were most likely not uttered by Jesus, but added by a later translator, they became a fitting end or doxology to this prayer. Reminds the prayer once again just who it is we're praying to. Once we start thinking about our own needs, our sins, our weaknesses and vulnerabilities, it's pretty easy to get overwhelmed. And so we focus on who it is we have been talking with our Father in heaven. Subtitle, He is personal. He is powerful. He is good and He is great. His kingdom, power, and glory endure forever. Amen. In your program, there's an insert of the Lord's Prayer and some suggestions for how you might pray that this week. Let me encourage you to use that or a different version this coming week. Just give it a one-week trial, if you dare. For this is how you should pray, Jesus says. This is the prayer God loves to answer. If we pray this prayer or some form of it sincerely and regularly, we can be sure we will be changed. And perhaps so also in some small way will our world. As we conclude this series on prayer, let me reiterate what we've been saying all along. Prayer is simply talking with God. Talking with the God who made you, knows you, loves you, is with you, and is for you. Why wouldn't we include him on what's going on in our lives? The joys as well as the pains. For we are truly never alone. Ultimately, the habit of talking with God is like anything else. If we want to get better at it, we've got to practice it. We can talk and do sermons about prayer all we we want, but until we're actually praying, it won't amount to much. So wherever you are on your faith journey, let me encourage you, take one little step in going deeper in prayer. Slowly, incrementally, it will change you. Anne Lamott's honesty as usual is so refreshing. She writes in Help, Thanks, Well, quote, I pray not to be such a whiny, self-obsessed baby and give thanks that I'm not quite as bad as I used to be. Talk about miracles. Then something comes up and I overreact and blame and sulk and it feels like I haven't made any progress at all. But turns out I'm less of a brat than before and I hit the reset button much sooner, shake it off and get my sense of humor back, end quote. Little Frank's prayer is a good one to end our series with, Dear God, I am doing the best I can. And indeed, that is enough. Let's pray. Oh God, we are so grateful for this awesome prayer Jesus taught us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this gift. Help us to unwrap this gift this week and enter into the reality of that prayer like never before. So that your name, will be made known so that people around you will see who you are through our lives. Thank you for the privilege, the amazing privilege of calling you Father, though you're on the throne. Help us to include you more in our lives every day. For we love you. And now as we close, let's pray together the Lord's Prayer out loud. It's on your screen. Our Father